Hey, this is Beth. And this is Jeff. And this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Because we often get questions about the Enneagram, it's really fun and inspiring for us to hear how all of you are applying the principles of the Enneagram So we are really enjoying these shorter episodes where we get to answer your questions to move you further down your path. So we decided to do something a little bit different this time. So we're going to jump in, but we're going to introduce to you one of our teammates. Yeah. So Angie Elkins. Hey. Hey. Angie Elkins is our podcast producer here at Your Enneagram Coach and obviously a superly dear friend of ours. Um, And so, Angie, you're going to be the one kind of throwing the softballs at us with the questions. Is that right? That's right. And then I'm going to ask you some follow-up questions. So be ready for that. (laughs) (laughs) So be ready And the great thing is, is that Angie is so curious about and ask us questions periodically. So we thought it'd be super fun to have her with us to uh, really take some of our answers a little bit further um, so that we can be more helpful for the listeners. Yep. So let's dive in with our first question, which is from a listener in Texas. Your home state, Jeff. Here we go. Okay. That's right. All things are bigger and better in Texas. So uh, <laughs> We all know that's true. Even our catastrophes. Uh, <laughs> even catastrophes like yes. a winter storm. <laughs> Including that. Yeah. Okay. So here's the question. I was wondering, can our Enneagram type change as we get older? Yes and no. <laughs> you know, uh, personally speaking, uh, Beth and I have been talking about this. Uh, so... Uh, we're empty nesters now. Mm. Both of our kids are out. And Beth has noticed that I get really, really quiet in the car. She goes, mm. you have become much more nine-ish yep. as you have gotten older. <laughs> How funny. Yeah, or nine-ish and five-ish. That's right. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, so the answer is yes and no. No, most Enneagram teachers and experts will say that your main type does not change. Okay. But when we look at the numbers that we're most readily connected to, which is your wings, the two numbers on either side of your main type, and the Enneagram paths that you take, which are the two lines that connect to two other types, you might be using those differently as you get older. Okay. Um, some experts feel that maybe uh, you start to use one wing a little bit more than you used to, or maybe you're starting to use one less. Um, we believe that you use both your Enneagram types. Uh, again, and it's different for each person. Some people use both of them a lot. Some people use both of them very little. Some use one more than the other. And so it's all going to kind of vary and change depending on circumstances, life situations, seasons of life, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really just you observing yourself mm. and kind of noticing these patterns or having someone else like myself with Jeff kind of pointing it out like, hey, I mean, Jeff, I mean, gosh, I want to say back in the day, we're just talking like a year or two ago, like, he was just always talkative and thinking and wanting to bounce mm. off ideas about everything. And as me as a nine, it was like, whoa, how do you mm-hmm. think about so much? And now when we're in a car and usually whenever we drive somewhere, we just moved a little bit out of the city. So it always takes us at least 15 minutes. We could be driving and he doesn't say anything, which is so unlike him in the past. Huh. And so that's why I would check in with him like, hey, is everything okay? This feels a little weird. And he's like, no, yeah, I'm I'm fine. And I'm like, huh, it's so interesting. Well, it it always comes back, and we remind people this all the time. It comes back to the core motivations. Mm. Don't think about behavior. Think about core motivations. Your behavior may change, uh, but your core motivations don't. Well, and also, we're in a season where 
you know, now we're living at home without any kids. And so we can talk all the time, yeah. right? We're not getting interrupted. We work together. Um, and so a lot of the things that he might kind of hold or contain until we actually uh, have time, like in a car or later when the kids are in bed or whatever it is, he doesn't have to do that anymore. Mm. So when we're in the car, it just might be some time for him just to enjoy, whether it's music, even that you're kind of quiet on <laughs> versus in the past. Life has gotten much more quieter, <laughs> particularly yeah. since we moved here. Yeah. yeah. So again, it, 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 there could be lots of reasons to it. It doesn't always mean a negative reason. It could mm. be a very positive reason as well. But again, with all that we do with the Enneagram, it's just looking at the why and just making sure, hey, is everything okay? Yeah. You know, or is there anything that we need to know? Uh, so like for, for right now, for us, it's a very, I guess, positive thing. It's not a negative thing, but it is an adjustment. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because recently I've gotten a question from someone who said, I think that I used to be a three, but now I've, as I've gotten older, I've become a nine. So can you speak into that a little bit? Does that have to do with the line? And they weren't really a three. They were just developing as a nine. Like, how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So the Enneagram paths, that's what we call it, your Enneagram coach. Those are the two lines that your type, main type is connected to, two other types. And Typically, when you're kind of talking Enneagram 1.0, we kind of talk about what it's like when you move towards one of those types when you're in stress and the other type when you're growing. But in fact, we actually can move to the healthy all the way to the unhealthy of both those types. Mm. Um, So it's not so much that the person was or wasn't a type three. That may or may not be true. So they're going to have to check the core motivations for why they do what they do, and align it with whether they are a three or a nine. Mm-hmm. So everyone has to land on their main type based on those core motivations. They can go to your Enneagram forward slash core motivations to get that download for free and see all the core motivations for all nine types. But once you've landed on, oh my goodness, yes, this is why I think, feel, and behave in particular ways, that main type does not change. Yeah. Now, saying that, as a type nine myself, there are going to be seasons of life where I do move to the healthy side of three mm. and I do move to the healthy side of six. Those are the two numbers my type is connected to with mm-hmm. those lines. But there are going to be seasons where I'm connecting to those two types in a kind of an average or autopilot way or in an unhealthy or misaligned with the gospel way. And it's going to dramatically affect how I show up as a nine. Mm-hmm. So I don't become the three and the six. But I'm still, and I still am a nine, but I'll take on some of their attributes again, whether in a healthy way or a less healthy way. Mm -hmm. And it's understanding the types you're connected to. So the Enneagram paths types and your wings and how they function both positively and negatively in your life so that you can be aware, Mm -hmm. you can be alert, show up, redirect yourself, recalculate into a healthier direction. So again, you're not changing your type. Now, if you, if you're like, I know I am a nine now. I'm not a three. And I really sure was sure I was a three. Mm-hmm. You probably just mistyped yourself. Mm-hmm. And for that season of life, it looked like that. But you really don't change your main type. Okay. You know, what's interesting in my own personal experience, um, I'm just thinking about the, the various parts of my Enneagram profile being a six, five and seven wings and three and nine yeah, my I I have a funny name for this my seven wing, uh, because uh, he's fun, he, he's sarcastic, 
Um, he's creative, adventuresome. And I realized that when our kids were younger, and because nine or Beth's not the most fun, creative, adventuresome parent. What? She's very hospitable, <laughs> very kind, very patient, very warm. And so I relied a lot on seven mm. uh, for quite a while. Yes. And but it makes sense to me now that we're empty nesters. And what I really enjoy doing is studying and reading. And so I, there's that seven part of me is not necessarily needed. But when it comes to leading the Urinigram coach team, I'm typically the mm-hmm. creative one. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean I've become a seven. It just means that a certain part of me isn't as needed as much as it was in previous seasons. So mm-hmm. what is your name for your seven wing? You didn't tell us. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, one of the interesting dynamics uh, in my life is that, uh, so I was adopted mm-hmm. and although People often assume that I'm actually, I'm white. I'm actually um, Mexican and Cherokee Indian, and so my friends, in a very endearing way, call him uh, El Macordo. So it's kind of this play on Jeff's a pastor, but he's fun and provocative. He's he, his name is a Scottish last name, and yet he's also. Um, both Mexican and Cherokee. So we call him El Macordo. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. All right, let's move on to our next question. This is from an anonymous caller, but she says, I am an eight and my sister is a four. I am really struggling with how to love her the way that she needs to be loved. How can I show her that I love her? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, what's really awesome is we can also lean on you, Angie, <laughs> being a type eight. <laughs> well, interesting. I have a child that's a four, I, I'm pretty sure. And so I'm super interested in this answer. Oh, good. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and it's such a great question. You know, one, what I appreciate about this question is a lot of times eights are not mindful of how their passionate, uh, protectiveness, challenging, um, uh, sparring with words. Mm. Um, they actually call it confrontational intimacy. Yeah. Like they enjoy just kind of getting in there and having a debate, um, how that can affect others. And because when we all do that, like mm-hmm. we all see the world through our own lens and we don't really understand fully how that's impacting others. And so for AIDS, a lot of times they don't understand the intensity uh, that they bring to any given situation. A lot of times people say, you're intimidating to an eight. And they're like, what, me? Like, I don't, <laughs> underst- I don't understand, you know? And everyone else is looking like, you don't under, You know, like everyone else feels this passion and this energy. So it is such a great question because it's showing that this type eight understands that they are bringing something to the relationship that could potentially hurt the relationship if mm. it's not accounted for. Um but they also have so much to give the relationship that we want to highlight. So for the type four, for the um, eights and the fours, they have to recognize they are reactive types. Mm. So they're going to emotionally react to any given situation with authenticity and realness, which is great. But when you get two emotionally reactive types, it it can be intense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But they're going to do it for different reasons. And it gets down to those core motivations. The aid is going to be very direct and blunt, say it like it is. Um, and they're really not necessarily thinking about how is this going to land on someone, not because they don't care, but because to them, they fear people betraying them mm-hmm. or being dishonest. 
So they want to be as honest as possible. But again, that can land on another person as being insensitive, hurtful, too blunt, etc. So for the type four to realize, oh, my sister sometimes says things very directly because she actually is trying to love me well from her perspective. That's one thing that can be really helpful for the four. But then for the eight to recognize, oh, my type four sister is also emotional, but it's a tsunami of emotions that, that overcome her. And also the four feels defective and flawed. There's something missing inside them, something broken Mm. that others possess. So when someone is very direct and blunt about a topic or an issue, you can imagine how that actually is going to land on a person that already feels there's something defective and flawed. They can almost see the ideal version of themselves far away, like they're trying to obtain. Mm. And a person is just kind of saying it like it is, like, yep, you are defective and flawed or, you know, and, and that can hurt even more than that they're already experiencing. So they're already having a tsunami of, of mm-hmm. feelings and emotions. And then someone saying it so directly almost feels like it's confirming mm. this feeling inside. Now, the eight could be very, very much easily thinking, okay, well, how do I be me mm-hmm. and say what needs to be said and being honest and so showing them that I've got your back. I'm not going to, you know, uh, lie. I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. But how do I do it in a way that can be honoring to them? So the the one thing, and eights won't do this anyway, but you don't want to flatter a four. So eights, don't worry, you don't, you're not going to do that. But you definitely want to highlight where they're uniquely different mm. and how they're created in such a wonderful way that brings beauty, creativity, depth, mm. realness to a relationship. When you start there... Mm. Um, when you basically give a little bit of affirmation and encouragement showing them who they are, then you can, on the backside, kind of going through the back door, bring some insights. But still, it needs to be um, not so blunt and so intense. Mm. Jeff, you were going to say something? Yeah, a few ideas. Um, uh, the good news and bad news about having an eight, having a relationship with a four. Um, the good news is this, is that they are a gift to you. Uh, to help you become mm. your best self. Uh, the bad news is, is that fours are going to invite you to vulnerability, mm. which is going to make it hard. Mm. And for an eight, getting stronger, getting more action oriented is not the path of growth. It's actually uh, accepting the truth that you live in a fallen world where you will face betrayal and pain um, and you won't be able to protect yourself. And so in relating to a four, number one, Uh, embrace the opportunity you have to learn about your interior world. Hmm. Um, Secondly, in order for a a four to move forward, there needs to be a lot of trust. And if an eight is betraying that trust, then um, there's less reluctance. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sometimes like we keep stating the same things, the same feelings over and over again in order to try to connect with someone that they understand who we are. And so it happens in small ways. Uh, marriage researcher John Gottman calls it relational bids. And when a bid could be, I feel sad today, it could be your comment made me sad. Both of those are bids. But when a person attunes to those and turns towards them 80% or more throughout the day, the more we build trust with one another. And so if an eight just simply dismisses an emotion or just tells them to uh, get their stuff together or go do something, go exercise, don't just wallow in your emotions, 
it's actually breaking trust. Mm, and so the wow. four is not going to be receptive to the influence of the eight. And then I think lastly is this, is that for eights, you have a tremendous superpower to create safe places for people. And so it really taps into the two parts of the eight where they can create safety and help for others to, uh, one, feel what they can feel and feel safe, but number two, helping them to organize and move them to action. But you can't drag them into action. Uh, You're going to need to invite them into action. We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90-minute sessions, and there's eight of them. Plus, you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. That's interesting. You know, as an eight... One of the things that really stood out to me that you said was that eights and fours are both reactive types. And so just knowing that we have that in common helps me to understand that my four is reacting, not in the same way that I react, but but we are both reacting. And so even just right. to find that common ground and know, okay, this four in my life is is reacting the way that I would be reacting it kind of helps me to have insight or, or empathy for their situation, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. even though it looks like emotion and all the feelings over here and it doesn't look like that for me. Um, it still right. helps me to kind of, I don't know, get clarity on it. So that's great. Sure. Well, it's very likely in these relationships, they're already reading one another before the conversation begins. Mm-hmm. So uh, I your child may know what disposition you're in as an eight mom and you walk into the house and you're like, the radar is going off. Like, I don't know what's going on with my child, but they're feeling something. And so before the conversation begins, you're already into your dance. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And the type fours feel very misunderstood. And so a lot of times what can happen is, you know, eights feel and, and they do have the superpower of kind of understanding where people are, can excel and they're just going to speak into it. Mm. But the four might feel misunderstood. So the four might want you just to sit and listen to their emotions or what they're experiencing. And the eight will usually hear that as, okay, let's take up a plan. Let's, let's get to action. Here's what you need to do. 
And the four is like, that's not what I was intending. I just wanted to sit with the, the emotions, the internal world. I wanted you to go there with me and maybe not even just say anything, but usually they feel misunderstood. So mm-hmm. often it's almost beneficial if we were to, to start with the mindset of, I'm probably going to misunderstand them. Now, that may or may not be true, but we want to come to that approach and say, okay, this is what I'm hearing that you're saying, but I might have missed it. Can you kind of clarify anything that you think I didn't hear well? Mm. Um, And then sometimes just ask, hey, is this a time that you would love for me just to sit and listen, Mm. you know, to all that you're feeling and experiencing? Or are you really coming to me because you want some sort of plan of action? Mm. And that can also be really beneficial for them. Yeah, that's very helpful. Let's take one more question from Kathy. She is a nine, raising a son who is a strong seven. Our biggest fight is chores. I know sevens hate menial tasks, but honestly, chores are part of being a family, and I can't think of a single household chore that isn't menial. What's the best way to help my son see the necessity of the chores without conflict? Of course, the nine wants to avoid the conflict, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, what can I do? Um, Yes, everybody is going to have to do chores. And mm-hmm. I don't know of any kid really that loves to do chores, yeah. but you're going to have some types that are much more um, compliant, uh, dutiful, responsible. Some of them, you don't even have to tell them what to do. They do it better than you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the dilemma here is really between the nine and the seven. Now, the struggle for the nine, which is me, is I just want everyone to be happy. Like, I don't want anyone to be upset. I just want there to be joy in the house and everything is peaceful and we're enjoying one another. Mm. Well, it's family, it's life. And so the first thing that Jeff and I really focus in on is checking our own heart. Um, Now, what I love about this is the mom is recognizing I don't want the conflict, but I don't know what to do. So I love the fact that she is owning that part of Mm -hmm. her, which on one side is good and admirable, Mm -hmm. but it can also get us off track. So as a mom, you know, me as a nine, there were a lot of times I had to just talk to myself and just say, Beth, I know this is going to be hard to do with the kids because they're not going to like it, but it's important as a parent to actually implement this. Mm. And they might balk at it, they might get upset, and that's okay. So there's that. But then there's also times of creativity and thinking, okay, well, what can I do outside of the typical chore box that might really help this particular child? And all children, you you can do this for any of the types, but for the seven particularly, make it a game, Mm. a challenge. Let there be some sort of fun rewards at the end. Now, everyone, parents different, and a lot of people might be thinking, but this is responsibility and you need to learn to do this. But if you put the lens of the type seven on and you recognize that they can pull from their six wing, which is duty, loyalty, Mm -hmm. faithfulness, well, how do we make something fun for them, but that also incorporates those natural abilities to bring some of those six qualities in? Mm -hmm. So if you have a a type seven, it could be, hey, we're going to see who... Um, can make their bed the fastest, mm. mommy or you. But there's there's lots of different mm. ways that you can implement fun mm. and activities that are still um, them being you know dutiful, responsible, doing the menial tasks. But it doesn't have to be drudgery. It doesn't have to be boring. There can be some excitement. Maybe you ask other friends, hey, what do you do with your kids to make these menial tasks fun? Because even as an adult, 
we don't right. like always having to make our bed. We don't always <laughs> like doing laundry, but why can't we implement something mm-hmm. fun? A lot of us will listen to podcasts, mm-hmm. listen to music, do different things. So what can we do for our children that invite them, especially the bent they have into this particular world? But I would go as far as to thinking, okay, let's say you have a type one child. The type one child can actually <laughs> probably do chores better than you because they've already thought <laughs> how you haven't done it right. But how do we help encourage them to enjoy life more, Mm. to loosen up? That doesn't mean don't do the responsibilities, but how do we bring a childlike playfulness for them to experience in their world? So that's why I want them to paint this picture. It's not just about sevens. Mm. It's about all nine types and how we can love and support them Mm. right where they're at. Jeff, what would you say? Um, You mentioned a few big things. I think uh, parenting. One of my favorite parenting books was by Dan Allender, and mm. said how children train parents. I believe was the title of it. Or how how children raise parents. How children raise parents. Mm. That's right. And the greatest gift to us is what our uh, children are teaching us about ourselves. And the, you're right, Bethy, that for this nine mom, obviously duty and avoiding conflict are are big for her. And the reality is, is that uh, her type seven child is going to challenge those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not motivated by duty. Um, and they're not necessarily thinking what the impact of them not doing chores, how it impacts family. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they are thinking is that they want to do life together with people. Yeah. And they're motivated by the benefits, not the duty. Mm-hmm. And so uh, get in there with your child. The fun, the stimulation, That's the right. excitement. The excitement and, uh, you know, create a level up bonus. Like if yeah. you, you know, give them a point system that really in invites them into it because the and what people don't recognize about sevens is that there's a one part of their heart Mm -hmm. many sevens although they may have a lot of stuff actually know where the stuff is and it is organized to some degree (laughs) uh, because they want to know where they where where they can find it Mm -hmm. and so uh, that doing chores being organized is a part of the seven's heart but the way they get there is different yeah i think that's great You know, I'm an eight with a really strong seven wing, as you both know. And even (laughs) for me, sometimes I just have to set a timer on unloading the dishwasher. Like, why is unloading the dishwasher a thing? I don't know. But one time I thought, I'm just going to set a timer and see how long it takes me. And when I realized it was a two-minute task, I thought, (laughs) okay, I I need to get over this, right? It only takes me two minutes (laughs) to do this. But, um, and you're right too. I I think it's impossible for me to clean the kitchen without listening to a podcast now. I I just, it doesn't happen. (laughs) Well, I mean, you just mentioned a few great things there. Number one, there is a perspective that a seven brings to a task that may not be in line with reality. And so, you know, set the timer, invite your child, like, how long do you think this would take? Let's see how long it actually, it really takes us to do this task. Um, but then number two, um, presence. I mean, yeah. the fact that you have a podcast, make it fun. What? Ask your child, what song would you like to listen to? And I'll help you clean your room. Let's try to get it done before the end of the song. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Because here's the thing, you know, we can actually point out to them, do you know how long it takes us to argue about these menial tasks? <laughs> And or how much time you might be in trouble and a timeout or whatever. It's so funny you say that because neither one of them want to have conflict over chores. Right. Like just saying that, like, hey, we could fight about this and we could, but we're both going to dread it. Well, yeah. And how come, can we do this differently? Come alongside them and say, I am on your side. Mm-hmm. 
as a mom, I am here to make sure all these things function and work together, but I need your help. I don't want you to be in timeout. I don't want you to lose screen time or whatever it is for that child. So let me champion you. Let's Mm. do this together. I'm going to go make my bed and clean my room. And we're going to set a timer for five minutes. Mm. And once that's done, guess what? It only took us five minutes instead of 10 minutes about talking about (laughs) it each time. And then also spend some time asking your kids curious questions. Why is this such a big deal to you? What, What is going on internally? Now, they may not have an answer right away. And go, hey, that's okay. You don't, you don't know, but just think about it, you know, and and just tell me anything that comes to mind because I am really curious about you. I want to know you better. Um, and then over time, as they get older, they will start to do that a little bit better and give you insights to them where you can come alongside and support them. I think one of the biggest uh, helpful things that Jeff and I learned from a friend was the idea of being a non-anxious parent. Just coming alongside your kid, knowing that you're going to be doing the best you can, that you know God is sovereign and he loves your child, and coming alongside the, the way that they were created and bent in support and with care, not necessarily the way you were made. And that can be a super big challenge, but God didn't make a mistake. Mm-hmm. God gave you your child for a reason. So I think it's really helpful if we just get to know our kid a little bit more each day and ask them curious questions. They'll feel loved by just being seen and heard and known. That's awesome. Well, that was really fun going through those questions. And thank you, podcast listeners, for sending us your questions. We love hearing from you. If you would like us to answer your specific question on the show, feel free to email us at info at your or just click the link in the show notes. And as always, remember this, the Enneagram reveals our need for Jesus, not our need to work harder. It's the gospel that transforms us.